So I would like to read verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray. Our Father in God, there is so much to pray about, and we do take an opportunity to pray for these two families. And Lord, with the tragedy and the loss there, I pray for the families for comfort. And I know that there are members in our congregation that are going to have contact with both families. And I pray that you'd help them to be used by you as vessels to communicate truth and comfort and encourage these families. And that, Lord, even through the testimony of our own people, that they might be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. That they might see that the only comfort they can get is from him and that they need him as Lord and Savior. We thank you for the way you're answering prayer in the lives of those that have had physical ailments in the church and how you're bringing them through them, and we just rejoice in that. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and, most importantly, to study the Word of God. We've been singing over and over in various ways this morning about your holiness, and we're going to see in this text that we are so contrary to that. And Father, we thank you and praise you, though, that by your grace you sent the Lord Jesus Christ. By your grace you have so loved us that you've paid the penalty and price for our sin. By your grace you've given us the Holy Spirit and the ability to have victory in our lives. And I pray as we open up the word of God, it would be rightly divided, that Father, it would challenge each of us, that it would convict where necessary, that it would encourage, and that Father, it would help us to walk in a way that we should in your sight. Thank you for this opportunity. Help all other things to be cleared from our minds and that the Spirit of God would have full liberty to minister. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The title, if you will, of this morning's message is The War for Our Souls. <clears throat> I want us to, because it's very important that we always understand things in context and what really get the flow of what is happening and I do believe repetition is a great thing for us to learn. But we have just completed, with verse 10 last week, the first major section of the book. And Peter, remember, is writing to professing believers, and his readers are facing trials. They are like we do every day. And they are also facing persecution. And what would you say to people like that? What would you say to someone who's going through some trials in their life, uh, maybe even persecution and death, what would you say to them as a believer? And, and Peter is confronted with this as he's writing this letter of 1 Peter to them. And in the process of that first section, let us recall that he has identified the people of God and told them who they are. And he has mentioned some of their privileges as the people of God. For example, last week's message, if you look at verse 9 again, it says, he reminded them they're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people of God's own possession. Those things that were given to the nation of Israel as we have been grafted in, and now through the Lord Jesus Christ, we share in these magnificent privileges. And he's encouraging the believers who are facing these things in that area. He has encouraged them. Let us remind ourselves that the trials that they are facing, listen, is the testing of their faith. Go back and remind yourself of that because it's been quite a while. Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Just look there very quickly. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, and we all are, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he is told them that their faith is being tested and how precious and important it is. He's prepared them to face the trials. Remember that, chapter 1, look at verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. And obviously action terms right there. And so he's been encouraging them by saying your faith will be tested. Prepare yourselves. And in chapter 2, verse 9, again, he's talked to them about the fact that they can have victory because even in verse 9, at the end of the verse of chapter 2, he said last week that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness because we will have victory in those situations. And uh, he's been encouraging those believers. And then generally, he has told them in this first section two things, one of which we sang about in that verse we studied, that context. And that is that we will have victory generally by holy living because the one who's called us is holy. And he's also told us in chapter 1, verses 22 to 25 particularly, that as also by loving the brethren. We are to live a holy life and we are to have a love for the brethren, a love for the people of God. <clears throat> and those are general principles that he has given. Now as we pick it up in verse 11, while in our structure of our Bible as it's been divided up, it's part of chapter 2, we are actually moving into the second major section of the Bible that will, in this, excuse me, of this book that will continue through chapter 4. And what is that? He is now going to unpack it. He's told them who they are. He's told them some of their privileges. He's told them that they will face trials. And he's told them that they can have victory. And he's given two general areas of how to have that victory. And now he is going to unpack that into the practical daily living. How does that work? How does living the holy life, how does loving the brethren work in my everyday life? Or to put it this way, because he's going to deal with it right away, uh, starting next week, how do we live for Christ in an ungodly pagan society? Does that sound like today? Are we living in an unpagan society? Are we... We living in an ungodly society? How do we do that? And how do we do that with success? He will now begin to unpack the details behind that. And his approach is this. And I'll give it to you right away for the entire area of chapter 211 through chapter 4. One, he's going to present, first of all, the magnitude of the problem. Right away. What is at stake? That's today. What is at stake here? And he's also going to present a very general approach, negative and positive. That also is part of today's message. 
That comes up right away. And then, beginning in verse 13, he will then get into the specific battlegrounds that we see. So starting next week, where do we get involved in this hand-to-hand battle, the hand-to-hand combat that's got to take place? How will that take place with government? How does it take place in our marriages? How does it take place in our work uh, place? And he will begin to unpack the very specifics of the battleground. But before he does that, in these verses that are before us today, as he moves into this section, once again, he wants them to get into focus. Knowing who they are, knowing that they will face trials, he wants us to understand how important this battle is, or this war, as we're going to talk about. And then he wants us to understand some very uh, basic things negatively and positive. So let's begin to unpack verses 11 and 12, knowing now where Peter has been and where he's going with this particular book. And it's a tremendous book. And I would encourage you to keep reading this because we all face trials. And 1 Peter is a great book to give us the instruction on how to do it. What is the magnitude of the problem that we're dealing with, that you and I are dealing with, that the people who are facing trials and persecution as believers in the day of Peter, what is the magnitude of that? Here it is, right away. Folks, we are at war. It's that simple. Notice it, right in verse 11. There is a war going on. It, he says, which wage war. There is a war taking place, and honestly, I want to take a step back here for a second and say this. I don't believe that many believers think we are in a war. What is a war? What's involved now? We've had all kinds of wars ever since man has been on the earth. But we don't really think about that too much. We don't want to think about it. We want peace. But what is the purpose of a war? I'll tell you what it is. It is to destroy. The purpose of a war is to take over. One country wants to take over another country. One country wants to suppress another country. Now that results in usually one of the countries are now in a defense to try to survive or to not let that happen. But you need to understand, and I need to understand, when we're talking about war, we are talking about bringing somebody else under subjection to us. And every single believer is in a war. Now I want you to see something right away because it's going to come up in 1 Peter. But then I'll get back to where we are today because I don't want to dwell on Satan. But just so you understand the concept of war, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We will eventually study this. And many of you have probably quoted this often. Look at verse 8. Be of sober spirit or be of sober mind. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil prowls, how does he prowl, like a, around like a roaring lion, what is he trying to do, watch, seeking someone to what, have a conversation with, seeking someone to have them have as a pet, is that what your Bible says, what does it say, to devour, you see, we're not talking about Satan today, you're going to see that in our text, 
But I want you to see the seriousness when we're talking about war. Satan himself, like a roaring lion, he is looking around to see whom he might devour. He even, remember this, said, the, uh, sorry, Jesus said to Peter, okay, the one that's writing this, I want you to know that Satan has requested you. He wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you, Peter. And by the way, you know what the Lord said to him? He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to take you out of the trial. He said, I prayed for you. You're going to face the war. And I'm praying for you, Peter. And by the way, Peter got the victory. And he's the one writing. So when we're talking about war, I want you to understand, you and I need to, we walk around in this world, we go, we're going to have uh, dinner with the chods, we go this afternoon, people go home, watch the ball game, they'll go do other things, they'll take a nap, they'll whatever, on they go, what's my schedule, what's this? Never even thinking about the fact that right now, right here, and as you go out, you are in a war. You are in a battle. The battle is even only a small part of it. Now, I want you to just understand right away what he's saying when we talk about the magnitude of this. What is the target of this war? What's the answer? You tell me. You're going to have participation in a Monday morning, so I'm going to shock you. But help me. What is the target? Your soul. My soul. Your soul is the target of this war. And we need to understand that. It is the real you and me. It is the unseen, if you will. It is the spiritual. It is the immaterial part of us where we really are. It is the eternal part. And for one tangent, and it is a tangent because I really want to get to this text, I need to say this. If you are here today and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, as a what's termed an unsaved person, an unbeliever, I want you to understand that the target is your soul for all eternity. And the scriptures put it this way in Luke chapter 9. What difference does it make if you gain the whole world? If you gain every rich, if you hit the lottery, if you have the biggest mansion in the world, if you have the best physical health and live to be 150 years old, I won't be here, but if you do, all right? If you live that long and have the greatest health and have all the friends in the world, not the Facebook friends, those aren't friends, those are just names. We call those friends real friends that come in. You have all the friends. What has that gained you if you lose your soul? Nothing. Because when you face all eternity, you'll end up in hell. You need to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to die for sin. He's paid the penalty and price because the wages of sin is death. You are a sinner. And your soul is sinful. And because of that, you have been separated from God. And the only way that can be restored is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord said, I'll have you read this, and then we'll come right back to our text. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11. We often quote it. You need to understand, because I'm going to turn my attention to believers this morning, 
But if you're visiting here today or you've been coming on a regular basis and haven't come to Christ, the war is to basically absolutely devour you so you spend eternity in hell. In fact, there are scriptures that say that we won't look at today, but I'll just quickly refer to it, that Satan wants to blind you from the gospel, the good news, so that you will spend eternity in hell. He's interested in destroying your soul. And in Matthew chapter 11, here's what the Lord said. Come to me, all, who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's Jesus Christ, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your what? So you want to find rest for your soul? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want to find rest for the soul? The only way you will have peace with God and rest for your soul is to come and believe his message, which was salvation is only found in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I sent in your place. I sent my son because I loved you. He died on the cross, paid the penalty from sin, rose from the grave, and if you put faith in that completed work on your behalf as your substitute, you will find rest for your souls. But let's go back to our text. There's a war going on. The war is for the soul. And what about for believers? Back to 1 Peter chapter 2. There's a war going on, and it's for the soul, and he's talking to believers. Now, believers have been given a new heart. We've already learned that earlier in the book. And there is a war to try and destroy that, to destroy your walk. <clears throat> this doesn't mean you can lose salvation, because you can't. You have been given eternal life, and you shall never perish. Eternal life says that. You shall never, never perish. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. No one can pluck you out of the Son's hand. Once you have truly come to Christ, you can't lose the soul for eternity. But there is still a battle going on for your soul to destroy it so your testimony, your light, if you will, to this world and your light to other believers is wiped out and destroyed so that there's no reward. And you and I need to see that. There is an awful lot at stake. And we need to understand that. So let's get into verse 11. Here's the general approach. Notice his compassion again, very quickly. Beloved. Peter cares for them. God cares for them. They are loved people that he's writing to. And he gives them a quick reminder. He says, as aliens and strangers, this is not new. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. That's how he started the book. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout. In chapter 1, verse 17, remember this? If you address the Father as one impartially judges according to each one's work... Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay. This is a temporary place. Last week's message, chapter 2, uh, again, in verse 9, same thing. We've been called out of darkness to light. We are a chosen race. The bottom line, we are only here for a short period of time. What's the bottom line? We're visitors. You know, today I happen to single out Ken Lawson because he was visiting with us. There's some other visitors that might be here today. You're a visitor, okay? This is not where you're, you're, you're staying right now. We are all, as believers, visitors on this planet. This isn't our home. 
We, sure, we live in houses. Sure, we have to live and eat and work and do all of that. But why? Because we are a light left here by God to proclaim the gospel and to live a life that's glorious that points people to Christ. But we are pilgrims. What better state to live in to understand that, right? State of Massachusetts, right? And for those who want to debate about it, Virginia, we won. They might have landed down there, but they ended up here. Okay, bottom line is though we understand pilgrims. We understand that concept. We belong to God. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we need to have that ever before us. You've heard that so many times from me. You've heard it so many times from the word of God. Pastor Dan, we know that. We need to be reminded because by the time we walk out of this building, we forget that. We are pilgrims. And he appeals to them. Peter urges them. Notice this. He urges them as aliens, since this is not your home, since you're a pilgrim, he urges them. He appeals to them. It's interesting, the word here in the Greek, it comes, it's, he comes alongside of them. He just doesn't preach to them. He comes right alongside of them, and he wants them to see his compassion for them and his concern for their souls as well. And so he urges them something, and he urges them, and get ready for this, he identifies, and here's the negative part, verse 11. In his general approach to prepare for what he's going to unpack later on in verse 13, he identifies the enemy. Do you know who the enemy is? You know what the normal reaction of a believer is going to be? Satan. <clears throat> you know what normal action, another reaction of a believer is? The world. Now the scriptures say that Satan is our enemy. The scriptures say that the world is our enemy. And the thinking of it. But most believers miss the biggest enemy of our souls. Who is it? Look at what he says. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? He tells you, that is what is at war against your soul. Folks, it's a civil war. What does that mean? We might expect that he would say, I want you to basically abstain from the world, the government. I want you to be abstaining all of this climate control. You don't understand the damage it's doing to you. Stay away from chemical foods because it's destroying your physical body. Now, by the way, I'm not trying to get on a bandwagon of saying any of these things are bad, but Christians concentrate on the environment. Christians concentrate on foods. They concentrate on organized religion. They concentrate on all of these things and stay away from it. Stay away from anything that's organized. And yet, he identifies the enemy as our flesh. It's us. We want to look at everybody else. We want to blame them. We want to say everybody else is the problem. Even when sin comes in our life, listen, folks, he says the battleground is right here. Your battleground, your war is happening in your thinking. It is happening in your soul every day and in my soul. You don't think so? Go with me to James chapter 4. It's right nearby, a couple of pages. James chapter 4. Look at verse 1. 
What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage what? War where? In your members. It's battling right here inside of you. In fact, since you're in James, go back to chapter 1. Quickly, verses 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each one, each one, Pastor Dan, start with me, and every single one of you in this room, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by Satan. By the world. Is that what your Bible says? By, go ahead, his own lust. It's right here inside. It is right here inside. Christians are not exempt from the war. We think we get saved and all of a sudden the war has gone away and we have these little battles that go on. Day. No, the war is waging for your soul every single day. You can't lose your salvation. But the battle against your own flesh is happening every single day. He didn't say, Peter didn't say, look it, don't go to the marketplace where all those pagans are. He didn't say, don't go to the athletic games. We say, what are you, what are you talking about? Didn't Paul refer to the uh, uh, Isthmian games even in scripture? Yes, he did. He was aware of it. He didn't say go there, be, don't go to the games because there's a lot of immorality there. He didn't say don't go to the theater. Those are the things that we concentrate on. And nobody concentrates on what is going on in here. Why did I read Galatians? Because that's the real battle, folks. It is going on in our hearts. In Galatians chapter 5, I won't turn there because I read it already. He says there's a battle going on. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit lusts against the flesh so that we cannot do the things that we would. And he begins to name things that are the sins of darkness. Where is that battleground happening? In our thinking, in our soul. The desire is within us already. We lust. You say, well, I lied. Why? Because there's a desire in your heart. There's a lust there. I coveted. Somebody got a new car, and we say, good for them, and then inside, why can't I have a good car? Somebody gets a new home. That's nice for them. How did they get that money? I don't have a new home. Somebody gets a victory in, in something that takes place, and, well, we don't want to say, we, we say, oh, good for you, and behind the scenes, they didn't deserve that. I did. I should have got that award. Where is that happening? In the heart. We covered, I just want a little bit more. I just want a little nice, that person want a vacation? How did they get to go there? I've never been there. I want to go on that vacation. Where does that happen? Right here inside. And we do those things, and then we go out with a halo around our head and say, but I have my devotions today. And never see that the war for our soul we're losing every day. Why do we lie? Why do we gossip? Why do we get involved in immorality? You want to know why? Because our inner man wants it. And unless we yield to the spirit of God 
and give him his way in our life. Unless Pastor Dan does that, unless you do that, you are not going to see the war that's taking place and we are going to lose. Not salvation as a believer, but we're going to lose that war because our flesh is going to take over and we will fall. Why did David fall with Bathsheba? Because it was in David's soul and he didn't recognize. He stayed away from the battle on the field and didn't recognize the war that was going on inside of him. And he gave in to the spirit of his flesh. That's why. Matthew chapter 15, you can look at it on your own. In verses 19 and 20, it says this. That it isn't what comes out of a man. It's what's inside a man. And then he begins to list out all of the sins that you and I are involved in. And where does it come from? Inside the man. The desire is within us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're not there yet, but look at it. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 3. For the time is already past, sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued the course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable, abominable, excuse me, idolatries. We will get there, but notice this already for today's purposes. Where did those things come from? They're the desires of the Gentiles. That's the desire with inside their heart. And it is still there. That battle is still there in the believer. The desire to sin, we need to see it is within us. Sure, the devil's our enemy. Sure, the world's thinking is our enemy, and we need to fight against that. But Peter wanted them to see right at the onset, before he gets into government, he want, which is going to be the first area he gets into, beginning in verse 13. He wanted them to see, you know, the problem is right within you with that. And you need to have the right attitude even toward government. And you need to have the right attitude toward your marriage. Because within you is the problem. And that's what he's trying to point out. It is primarily us. We want to blame everybody. Yeah, I fell. Satan, Satan caused me to do that. Yeah, the circumstances. You know, you know, I got grandchildren. and I could go into all kinds of stories, but I guess I won't do that. Um, but you have situations where something happened. Maybe you spilled over the milk. Well, if you didn't put it there, we had nothing to do with us, right? We didn't knock it over. It's because someone put it there. You didn't put it there, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have stumbled over it. I wouldn't have knocked it over. We do the same thing in our sin life. So he says, take action. Abstain from it. We now have the ability. He wants them to realize that. He's already taught them that in chapter 1. You have a new heart. You do not have to give into it. So he says, he urges them, abstain from it. Stay away from it. Take action. Don't let it pursue in your thinking. And what should happen? Let me give you a, uh, one second on this. What should happen when you fall? Fall. Very simple this, confess it, repent, and forsake it. That's it. That's why people refer to 1 John 1, 9 all the time. Am I going to fail? Of course I am. Why? But understand that the, the war was in your soul, and you lost that one. Then confess it and forsake it. Yield to the Spirit of God. Pursue what he's been teaching us. Desire the sincere of the milk of the word that you might grow by it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the things that we've seen. Let that take place, and you will replace those desires with the desires for the thing of God. 
What about others? Let me give you a quickie on this. Don't be quick to judge someone else. What happens is when someone else falls, it's our tendency to be upset about it, which we should be, but then to act like, you see what they did? I would never do that. Really? Or we ridicule. Or we turn around and say, hypocrite. You know what? We're all hypocrites. And we don't want to say it. And it becomes a gossip mill rather than one in which we're broken, one in which we come alongside. They need, we need to help them. We need to lift them up. And the fail of an, fall of another believer becomes the test of our walk with God. We've heard that before. Of how we treat it. Whether we're going to abstain from our fleshly lust right now because we're going to react to the way the flesh wants to react over them with our proud attitude or we're better than they are or everything else that we want to say. We need to forgive, First Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Galatians chapter 6, we need to look to restore one another, to pick one another up. So when we sin, confess it. When you see another believer sin, what do you want to do? Weep with them and help them get back on their feet. Because there's a war going on for the soul. Sin will have consequences, but get up and move on. Seek the help of other believers. We should be there to help. So what are we saying? Realize the, the magnitude. It's a war. It is also for our souls. And he's talking to believers. He says, you're strangers and aliens, but you still have that war because we are still alive in the flesh. And every day we battle with our attitudes. We battle with our, our thinking. We battle with our jealousies. We battle with our self-centeredness. We battle with our pride. We battle, battle with... Everything's about me. We battle with I'm better than this. We battle with everyone else is wrong. All of these things are going on all the time, and we don't see the war. He says, he urges them. We're strangers. Abstain from that stuff. How do I do that? By yielding to the Spirit of God. The positive thing is, and let me just get this before we conclude today. He says, keep your behavior Excellent among the Gentiles. And he uses the word Gentiles there. I think you can see it in the context as the unsaved. Because that's what he's dealing with. He's dealt with them as aliens. And when he says Gentiles, it just means nations. And I think that's the context of it. He's saying keep your behavior excellent. That's the positive. This is called, if you will, lifestyle evangelism. We ought to tell others about Christ. But let your life be seen as being different. How? By winning the war in your own life. By winning that battle so that when you don't treat others that way. I had an interesting conversation with two other referees yesterday. I also refereed a, a, a game yesterday. It was a, uh, anyway, to, to get to it, in the conversation, it had to do with the coach. And it had to do with this bad attitude that this coach always has and everybody that faces him and so on. And, and in the conversation, it was interesting because as I had the conversation, I said, but you know what? I don't have any problems with that coach. They said, you got to be kidding me. I said, no. I said, because what I've tried to do is win that coach over. And as we got on, you know, they started to talk about it. It was interesting. The other two officials, you know, if we treat people better, maybe they would calm down and they'd relax. And that's the point. 
I could have treated him like the other refs were and, and just gone into the situation. Yeah, this guy, you know, they got to put this guy in jail. You know, and they, they ought to just take this guy. And, and the point is, maybe if we treated that person better, okay? And the important thing is that that light shines before those two gentlemen I was talking with because that's what we're to do. We'll let our behavior, we'll let it to, to happen in our life. Now, I don't always have that victory, but I'm just sharing that. That's the idea. Let our light shine before men. The scriptures tell us, love your enemies, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That is to be our attitude. That's what he's talking about when he says, let our behavior, let it be excellent. Let it be honorable. That word means honorable. Maintain a life that's honorable. Maintain a life that's beautiful, if you will. So there's people look at it, they're attracted. There's something different about that person. There's something different about the way they work. There's something different about their attitude when things go wrong. There's something different about their speech. Why? Because they know they belong to Christ and they're winning that war area every day. And we need to see that. And if we can get the victory there, Lord, I know I want to covet after that. No, this is what you have for me. I can call on Philippians that just came to my mind. Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says, I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content because I understand that it's in Christ and his power that is going to enable me to do this. I understand I want to react and, and really get back at that person and have revenge, but the Lord says, vengeance is mine, pray. And I have that particular attitude. That's what he's talking about, having excellency. And in their environment, he, he wasn't telling them to go in and try to change all the... The, all of the Gentiles and to change all of their idolatry and to change, if you will, all of their immorality. He was trying to say, be a witness to them and show it excellent so that they see them. And by the way, very important to this, notice what happens. When you do that, guess what? All the world is going to love you. Oh, yeah, get prepared. Wait till we get to later on in chapter 2. But let me just give you the tip of the iceberg right now because Peter does. Look. He says, so that in the thing in which they slander you as an evildoer, that because of your good deeds, when you are living for Christ, you will face persecution. Listen, let me make it real practical to you if I can. When the world comes out and says, look it, we don't care. Bottom line is you have to accept and marry, allow the marrying of gays, and you turn around and say, I disagree. Well, they're just going to put their arms around you and say, oh, that's very nice of you. No, they're going to hate you for it, but your light's going to shine. When they think abortion's okay, and you turn around and say, no, I don't agree with it, but then you handle them right, you will still be accused of being the bigot. When you're at work and you want to work because you know, don't have time for a break and you're not supposed to have a break and someone else is goofing off and you do it right, they're going to say, oh, look at goody two-shoes over there. That's the persecution. You're doing right and being criticized. If you live as a Christian, when you do things right, the world is going to laugh. They're going to criticize. Or as Paul put it, they will even slander you. You're the evildoer, not them. So when you speak out even with the government and some of the things that go wrong, and what do they say? They turn around and you're the problem. 
not them. You should expect that. That's what the world is going to bring. And so there's again the battle. Why? Because the war is in my soul to turn around and react and say, oh yeah? Let me get back at you. But he said, no, no. As a stranger in this world, first of all, battle, win that war. Win that war in your own soul that wants to have your flesh give in and you give into the flesh. And what do I need to do? Yield to the Spirit of God. And then let your behavior be such as before the Gentiles, they will see. Notice again it comes up, your good deeds. Listen, good deeds never brings anybody to salvation, but every believer had better be involved in good deeds. Because we are called unto it, book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We studied the book of Titus. Remember that over and over and over and over again? We have been brought to salvation by the Lord as a people zealous for good works. We should be looking to let our light shine, even when we get criticized. You think you're better. No, I don't think I'm better. You think you're, you're too good. No, in fact, I'm terrible. I'm the chief of sinners, but God was gracious. That's how Peter, the very writer of this epistle, took it. We need to understand that. Compare chapter 3, verse 16, same book. We're not there yet, but let's look at it. Look at verse 16, 1 Peter 3. Keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they'll be ashamed. That's the type of life we're to live as believers. In this world, doing what's right, battling our own flesh, not them, Battling that flesh, getting the victory, and then letting others slander us because it's going to happen. We're going to see more of that in Peter. But he's encouraging them, look it, you need to trust in Christ and live that excellent life for the glory of God because your soul is what's important. And I will tell you this because time's escaping me. It says, even in Corinthians, the day's going to come when you stand before the Lord and he's going to examine your life for the works in salvation. And the rewards will be great, and that's what counts. And I didn't really do it justice with all the verse, but at the end of the verse, just so I don't, you don't think I'm going to skip over it. So they will notice that they observe your good works and they glorify God in the day of visitation. That can mean a couple of possible things, and I'll give it to you very quick. I have a number of verses in each area. We won't have the time to study them. But some look at it as the day of judgment or the day of when the day of the Lord. Because, by the way, the Old Testament and New Testament uses this word uh, uh, on a number of occasions. And sometimes it does mean that. The day of the visitation when the Lord's coming back and the judgment day. I don't really think it's personally that one. I think it's the other one. What is that? That in the day of visitation might be referring to the fact because they are shining as a light. What is the objective? The objective is to let our lights shine so that they would glorify God, so that they would come to Christ. How did you come to Christ? By somebody else either sharing the gospel or being attracted to the word of God, whatever it was that God used in their life. And it may be that the day of visitation here is the day in which God brings salvation to them. While they have slandered you, while you have been doing the best to yield to the spirit of God and you've been different and even been criticized and maybe even faced context, persecution, and death. That when it comes to salvation, I know a man by the name of Paul who stood at the feet of a man named Stephen and gave consent to what was going on. 
And that man hated the church. And his day of visitation came on the road to Damascus. And he became a great warrior for Christ. Listen, folks, and I'll close with this. How many people do we come in contact with who we think that there's no way in the world they're going to get saved? And one day, they may be a preacher preaching the gospel for Christ because your light shined before them because you were getting the victory in the real war that's taking place in your heart and mind. I'm going to tell you something. I'm standing here that way. The people that knew me when I was younger and even my own family would have never envisioned the day that I would be preaching the gospel. But by God's grace through the life of others, even through criticism, were faithful. God used that even in my own life, and he will use you. But it's got to start with us winning the battle that's going on within us to yield to the flesh. Folks, yield to the Spirit of God. We're aliens. We will have victory. We will not ease the persecution. We will not ease the slandering. But we will shine for Christ. And we will have victory in our lives and others will come to know him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for Peter, how very practical he is. How by your grace he understood and knew that he himself faced the battle in his own flesh when he said he'd never deny you and yet gave into the flesh and denied you because of pressures that came from the outside. But I thank you that he learned from that. I thank you that he learned not to give in to the point of eventually in his own life, even death, because of his testimony for Christ. And Father, if we're honest, we fail many times, as do others around us. When we see others fail, help us to be ready to lift them up. When we see our, ourselves fail, help us not to just browbeat ourselves to the point of uselessness, but Father, to confess, to forsake, to draw near, to yield to the Spirit of God that you might have your way in our lives. And Father, help us to see that the real war that's going on isn't outside, it's within. And give us the strength to yield to the Spirit of God and let him have his way in our life. To let you have your way, that we might have victory day by day, battle by battle, as we will get into the details, as Peter will give us that information. And I pray, Father, that this week we will have a week in which we will experience us winning the war of our own soul that wars against us in the flesh as we give in to the Spirit of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.